Let me introduce myself. I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. What up? It's Mean Joe Grizzly, and this is the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to do something a little different. I've got to see a lot of stuff over the past couple of weeks that I want to talk about. So we're going to do a Grizzly Grade Reviews Lightning Round. Five reviews in one episode. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone to please like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Also follow the show on all social media platforms so you can get updates on upcoming shows, geek news, discussions, cool videos, and interact with yours truly. So follow me on Instagram and TikTok at the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast, at Mean Joe Grizz Pod on Twitter, like the official Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast Facebook page, and last but not least, join the Mean Militia on the show's official Facebook group, the Mean Joe Grizzly Mean Militia. I look forward to interacting with you all and talking about all forms of badassery. But now, let's move on to Grizzly Grade Reviews, Lightning Round Edition. So my goal with this new version of Grizzly Grade Reviews is to give you some likes, some dislikes, and a final verdict on the show, and give you a little bit of brief plot synopsis, unless I went over it in a earlier episode. And first up on our Grizzly Grade Reviews Light Round Edition is The Sandman, and it was amazing. I think that this was as close to perfect as a, of an adaptation as you can get, and some of my likes were I love how faithful they were to the source material despite some gripes that I have with some unnecessary changes and don't get me wrong some of the changes are absolutely necessary for example anything involving any of the DC superheroes would have just confused everyone so that is that anyone that's not familiar with them it was an obvious choice to leave them out but other than that, they're very, very faithful to the first 16 issues of the comics. And I made an episode of the Grizzly Guide, and I believe in episode 31, where I explained those first 16 issues. So if you're curious on that, go check that out now. Uh, I love the attention to detail and in, in certain scenes like one in particular was when dream of the endless escaped from his glass prison and returned to the dreaming where he's like kind of floating towards this void uh that is straight off the pages of the comic and the attention to detail to that was great and that's just one example of how whoever did this 
really really loves this story and i love that we finally got we got people who really care about these these characters and these stories doing these shows now uh the actors who portrayed their respective characters did very well especially especially tom sturridge who played dream and boyd holbrook who played the corinthian they were phenomenal they played those characters to a t and I don't think that they could have picked anyone better. They those those actors look like those characters. They act like they they embodied those characters perfectly, and I think that that goes for just about this entire cast that they chose to bring in to do this adaptation. I, I just I just think that it, it's just phenomenal. I, I can't praise it enough. But I, it's not perfect, and there, I do have some dislikes. And like I said before, there were some changes that they made that were honestly just ridiculous. One in particular is changing John Constantine I, I, to Joanna Constantine. And I, I, why? I, I, I don't understand it. And in fact, it only by making this change it only like confuses people if if they're not familiar with the story so here's the thing there is a joanna constantine in the sandman stories in fact it's during one of my favorite side stories of the series and not just the comics but also in the show and it's the episode where dream and death met a man back in the dark ages and he was claiming that he would never get tired of living and that he just wasn't going to die because he's had enough of death. He, he's just going to live forever. So they granted him immortality. And Dream would meet up with him every hundred years. And that was... I love that. I really, really loved that part of that story. It was so good. And well, in, in one of the centuries they met in, there was a descendant of John Constantine. there known as Joanna Constantine. And this played out the same way in the comics, like I said before. And to have in the show, they to have two Joanna Constantines, it's it's just stupid. And honestly, it's a huge missed opportunity to expand on that mythos outside of the DC superheroes. Like the whole Vertigo, the whole, the DC's old Vertigo mythos was amazing. It was one of the best part of comics in the 80s and 90s. And I just felt like it was a missed opportunity because people love, even the the not so good adaptation that Keanu Reeves did, even though it has a special place in my heart, it's not very good, but people still love that movie. So you cannot tell me that people wouldn't be receptive to bringing in John Constantine into the story that he was originally in in the comics. So I felt like that was just a, a very unnecessary change. Now, the one gripe that I really have is there are times, not the whole time, most of the time it looks great. But man, there are some times when the CGI is so damn bad. <laughs> one time in particular is the scene that shows uh, Desire of the Endless, it shows its realm man let me tell y'all something that was some of the worst 
CGI I ever seen in my life. I don't know if they intentionally did that. I don't know how you intentionally make it look that bad. A lot of people are are bitching about like the the She-Hulk show how bad that CGI is. That CGI looks great compared to that one particular scene. It is so jar it's jarring. It is so bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 weird that that one scene is is the CGI and it seems just so bad in that one scene because the rest of the show it looks pretty damn good it looks pretty phenomenal so it's just a head scratcher that that happened in that so what's my final verdict honestly I believe this might be one of the best live action adaptations of a comic ever made it's not perfect and honestly it, it just gets so damn close I hope that it gets a second season and I hope it was an eye-opening experience for viewers and the Netflix executives so they can give us more adaptations of more darker and obscure properties like this and I'm I'm still waiting on a season two of CW Swamp Thing or a new version of Swamp Thing. I want Swamp Thing. Please, Netflix, somebody give me a good Swamp Thing show. It's one of my favorite characters please <laughs> but ultimately although it takes some liberties and makes some unnecessary changes and at times has some hideous cgi the same man manages to become one of the greatest comic book adaptations to date and among the best of dc's most recent offerings it's it's a fantasy masterpiece so with that Sandman gets a four and a half out of five and is grizzly grade guaranteed. So now let's move on to the second review, which is Beast. So Beast tells a story of a single father and his two daughters going to Africa on a trip to kind of reconnect with each other after the death of his wife. And they meet up with their friend who is played by Sarita Copley of District 9 fame. And he takes them on a, somewhat of a safari so they can, because he's like a, um, he's what you call a poacher hunter or he's kind of like a, a ranger. And he takes them on a safari and they come across a village that has seemingly been completely massacred by a lion. And the thing is is that the lion is he's not eating the villagers he's just killing them relentlessly and this ensues a conflict between that group and this killer lion and i like this movie i thought it was pretty good but it, once again not many movies are perfect and this is definitely not one of them and some of the likes that I have in it is it has great tension. Most of the movie, you definitely feel like the characters are in true danger. Uh, the gore and violence is great. It's not too over the top, and it, but it's it's believable. It's not this gratuitous violence where lions are slapping people's heads off their shoulders or nothing like that. Uh, the the tone is very appropriate for the situation and it's maintained throughout the film it's never it never loses the the tension and and the appropriate tone that it needs to be to maintain that tension uh idris alba and sarita copley are fantastic they're both great in this movie they they play their roles perfectly and really i think 
for the most part, all all the actors are are good actors. Their their performances are good, and I think it, the best part is, other than a few things, is that this this whole movie, this situation in this movie, for the most part, is very believable, and it grounds it, and it makes it it makes it a a pretty effective thriller slash horror film because. It doesn't seem unbelievable but a lion would go on a rampage and start murdering people. It's it was pretty it, it felt pretty real. And I think all that gave the movie a great experience to to witness. Now my dislikes were uh Ayana Haley's character, that's one one of uh I believe it's the older daughter that of Idris Alva's character. She is one of the most frustrating characters in a horror slash thriller film I have seen since Texas Chainsaw 2022. She continuously makes every single mistake in the survival handbook to get her and her family killed. And unlike Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022, you never get to see her get her just desserts because she is so egregious and such a dumbly written character that you're just like, all right, she's got to go. She's doing everything she can to get her whole family killed. This sucks. And it, it was, it was egregious. It was like, it was so gratuitous. All of the attempts that she made to break said rules you're not supposed to break to survive throughout this movie. It was just so frustrating to watch. And the other thing that I that one of the other big glaring things I didn't like is Idris Elba I know he's the star of the film and I get that and the star and the lead they have a all stars and leads in every single movie in any genre they have a degree of plot armor and plot armor if you're not familiar with the term is we know they're not going to die or nothing bad's going to happen to them because they they are the main character the main character can't die then it defeats the purpose of watching the movie and but Idris Elba's is incredible <laughs> he has got he there's there's a, a point where consecutive times this guy should have died there's no way any man would survive it like act of God this guy should be dead and when it happens that is when the movie goes from being believable to unbelievable and I understand I'm watching a film and I understand I'm watching a horror film or a thriller at that and I, I understand the entire concept and I'm taking something way too serious but you can't give me a realistic scenario make it realistic most of the movie and then just have this unbelievable shit that happens it's like okay there's no way he survives that he's died 10 times in this movie <laughs> so I, I i didn't i didn't care for that and all both of those gripes i have that all goes into one thing that sums all of it up for my dislikes lazy ass writing it was it, if you have to write a character I, I i do not like characters being written stupid to drive the story forward we're we're in this is 2022 it's it's that cliche has to go 
unfortunately, some people still hold on to that. And I'm, I, I know I sound like I hate this movie. I do not hate this movie. I actually enjoyed this movie. But those few things definitely brought my score down for that. So what's the final verdict? Overall, Beast is a solid thriller with uh, overall great acting, solid gore, and great CGI. The line looks great. But unfortunately, it's held back by some extremely lazy writing and character flaws. But it still delivers a good time. So with all that being said, Beast gets a three and a half out of five and is grizzly grade guarantee. Now, on to our third review, which is Dragon Ball Super Superhero. So I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up in the, the 90s and the 2000s for the most part. And one of the big things from my childhood was every weekday afternoon, uh, Saturday mornings and Saturday nights, there was a programming block called Toonami. And the big premiere show of Toonami was Dragon Ball Z. And Dragon Ball Z is n not the first anime in America, but the first huge anime in America. A lot of people try to say Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. That's not correct. Dragon Ball Z is the reason why anime is huge in America. And I've just been a lifelong fan ever since I was a kid. And I loved this movie so much. Uh, this is the fourth movie out of the Dragon Ball Super movie series. And the big difference between the movies that they have given us since Super started and the movies that they gave us when Z was around is these movies actually tie into the main continuity. And I, I think that this is running a very tight race for the best one that they've released yet since Super started. So it's, it's one of those things where my fandom or my, my, my love for this series has been rekindled once again. I've always loved this series. I'm always going to love it, but I am so excited about Dragon Ball again. And that's something that I, that is always a good thing for me. Love this show. Love, love this, love the manga. I love all things Dragon Ball except for Dragon Ball Evolution because that's a pile of shit. <laughs> but what did I like about the movie? I, 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 I like how they finally, finally, Gohan and Piccolo get the justice they deserve. And for too long, these two fan favorite characters have been shuffled off to the back burner. And especially Piccolo. Piccolo is my favorite character, hands down. No one else is my favorite. Piccolo is my favorite. And Piccolo finally gets a new power up with Piccolo Orange or Orange Piccolo, whichever one you want to call it. I think the, the correct is uh, Piccolo Orange. Uh, I could be completely wrong, but as well as Gohan, he finally gets back to being his badass level that he was at when he was battling Cell in Z. And I'm so satisfied with both of those developments with those characters. It's, it's something that, again, is so long overdue. And all of the characters in this movie are very relatable and well done. Like, to the point that I want to see all of them return in future shows and movies, if at all possible. And, and especially the Gammas, Gammas 1 and Gamma 2, even though, spoiler alert, 
Gamma 2 can't come back. Maybe he can come back in some different capacity if he's like rebuilt, but he was, he sacrificed himself in the final battle against Cell Max. And the, but Gamma 1 and Gamma 2 are great additions to the mythos, and I'd like to see them and Dr. Hedo come back in some kind of capacity. Uh, the fights were fantastic, and to my complete surprise, and is superbly anim animated in 3D animation. And I was very concerned when I seen trailers in 3D animation because I am not a fan of 3D animation. I think it looks lazy. I think it has no fluidity. I think it's real janky. It's just something that I've never liked. And I'm not talking about the animation like with Final Fantasy Spirits Within or Advent Children or any of uh, the animatrix any of those type of anima animations because i think those look great but the like star wars the clone wars and star wars rebels really hard for me to get into because i loathe the animation so much i think that the hand-drawn animation thing is something that's becoming this lost art and the the one thing that really bugs me is is going on a little tangent here it's like with Disney Disney had the what if series and it was going to be animated and then they bring out this lazy ass looking animation that I just can't freaking stand but I digress uh, I was surprised by how they managed to make it look great and make it work because it's not it's it's literally it's, it, there was no way they were going to be able to animate this the way they do with hand-drawn animation. Somehow they did. I don't know what they did differently, but it looks great. Uh, it's, I'm always going to prefer the hand-drawn animation, especially in the style like they did with Dragon Ball Super Broly, but I can tolerate this. This isn't bad at all. Uh, I like how the Red Ribbon Army was brought back in a way that didn't feel like it was random or unearned. Uh, having the son of Commander Red, Magenta, and the grandson of Dr. Zero, Dr. Hedo, team up to restore the Red Ribbon Army was a perfect way to revive it. Uh, Dr. Hedo is a very relatable character, a, a misguided fan by the fanboy that just wants to, he just wants to make true heroes, and even though he does some heinous acts, he still remains this, this innocent character. And his creations, Gamma 1 and 2, are a reflection of that. They fight for justice, but are just misinformed as to who the actual enemy really is. Uh, also, I like how the story focused on Gohan and, Pic and particularly Piccolo. It, it, it does take time to check in on like Broly and Goku and Vegeta and and give us like a status update on their progress and their training on Beerus's planet, but it doesn't it, it doesn't take away from the focus of Gohan and Piccolo, especially Piccolo. Piccolo is the star of this movie. And everybody's talking about Gohan Beast, but Piccolo is the star of this movie. This was his movie and. I love how they focused on him, especially him being my favorite character. And them taking uh, pretty much a whole movie to focus on that, that's something that's, again, long overdue. But I did have some dislikes, and I do wish we we would have had an actual true villain. Uh, Cell Max was cool, but I think it would have been a lot better if he would have actually had like Cell's actual personality from Z. Uh, and not that him being a like raging beast wasn't cool because 
it was and it made sense for him to be a rage beast because they were saying that he he was imperfect but he was he was incomplete and his brain wasn't developed all the way so he was just this big brute force and him being like the central monster facing off against gohan beast the the concept of taking a beast to kill a beast that was pretty cool but i just wish he had some personality he had he just he was literally just a rage monster. he was like the hulk he's a giant kaiju cell like the hulk and you know the other dislike i have is although i think it's probably the best 3d animation i've seen used in this form of media before i'm still never going to want it over traditional animation it's it's just not fluid and smooth enough for me even though there's they I don't know how they somehow blended the two well to give us a very impressive product but it's just not my preferred style broly's animation to me is the perfect representation of what i think good animation should look like but that's all the dislikes I really have about it. So what's the final verdict? Well, Dragon Ball Super Superhero takes the concept of the Red Ribbon Army and brings it back for the modern fan. But the focus is placed on fan favorite characters Piccolo and Gohan, which is beyond overdue. With great fights that are surprisingly done in stunning 3D animation, the great new character additions of Gamma 1 and 2, and an amazing climactic final act, Superhero manages to place itself firmly in the best of level of Dragon Ball Saga and is a must see for fans. And with that, Dragon Ball Super Superhero gets a four and a half out of five and is grizzly grade guaranteed. If you are a Dragon Ball fan, you have to watch this movie. It is phenomenal. So now let's move on to our fourth review, which is The Invitation. So the invitation is a story of this girl who recently lost her mother to cancer and she's literally has no family. Uh, she's got this, this problem with loneliness and she just wants to, she just wants to have a family of her own. So she fills out this like DNA sample test thing. that's kind of like 23andMe or, or uh, Ancestry.com and she ends up putting this DNA sample in the mail and coming back a match and she turns out to have a cousin who is this rich British white guy over in England and they end up meeting and he invites her to a wedding and she ends up going and things aren't what they seem and turns out that she is now in the crosshairs of a very dark and sinister force also known as vampires well not really vampires this movie sucked um they're vampires they just suck uh but it's not all bad so i did like i, I loved the sets and the atmosphere uh that this movie made they truly managed to embody the classic universal monster slash hammer film setting the gothic architecture is stunning and the it really sets the mood of the film as as well as the fog and the mist that rolls in from the forest on the borders of the estate where everything's taking place at in the movie 
it, it really gives us this this atmosphere needed for like the classic horror feel and also the interior of this is estate or this I don't really know what you would call it. It's, it's, I call it an estate because it looks, it's just this huge property with this big Gothic architecture on it. But the, the bedrooms, the halls, the library, the, the wine cellar, all screen classic hammer setting, like all the horror setting. And all of that was top notch. And it's just too bad it gets wasted. Uh, but I'll elaborate on that more later. Uh, the lead actress she's great she's she's fantastic the and the the cast overall isn't bad uh, i can't remember the actor's name but he was he played alfred in gotham and he was also in uh dog soldiers he's this pretty well known i think british actor uh he's he's great in this very menacing and their overall their performances were very solid uh, but that's about all I got for this movie as far as what I liked about it. Uh, the dislikes, though, uh, there is almost zero gore in this movie. Like, it literally has, no pun intended, it has no bite to it. Uh, the CW has way more violence than this, and I'm not just being super harsh. The movie is so damn slow. It, it, it takes forever to get started, and then nothing happens. And nothing really happens until like the last 15 minutes of the movie. And it's like this stereotypical ending. And quite frankly, it just sucked. Uh, the villain, the lead vampire who is, who is hinted to be like Dracula. Uh, they obviously can't say his name because they don't have the copyright for it. But it... it, it it was pretty obvious that he was that there was something nefarious going on with him that he was going to be the big bad uh they they didn't they tried nothing to hide that <laughs> and it, it was just he just wasn't menacing i never bought into him as a as a villain you knew he was the villain but he just he didn't scare me at all <clears throat> it, it it feels like they they wanted to make this like tribute to classic hammer vampire flicks but they didn't know how or they decided to take the twilight approach and we all know how that goes <laughs> uh actually twilight's way more violent than this i'm not i'm not exaggerating this movie literally has no bite uh and the one thing that i think that i really that i hated the most was the very end of this the very end not the climactic part of the movie but the right before the credits roll the ending of that movie was so eye rolling and so cringy uh, it, it literally deflated any attempt of of women empowerment it, it was just awful it's just seen and spoiler if you don't want to know but if you go see this piece of shit and you like it that's on you but there's the end scene when everything's all said and done the lead character and her friend come back with baseball bats and they're gonna go beat up this British guy that the, the British guy who was posing as her cousin or whatever to lure her there and it was just super 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 freaking cringy it sucked it was bad and the CGI the little bit of CGI that's in the movie is it's just blah it's just 
there's nothing special about it. And this movie was really, really bad. <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand why Hollywood can't make good vampire movies anymore. So, what's the final verdict? Uh, despite its stunning gothic sets, classic horror atmosphere, and great performances by the lead actress Natalie Emanuel, the only invitation this movie is offering is to a boring and fangless vampire film. And with that, the invitation gets a two and a half out of five and is not grizzly grade guaranteed. Skip this piece of shit. Don't buy it. It sucks. And now on to our final movie in this lightning round, and that is Orphan First Kill. So Orphan First Kill were reintroduced to Esther, and this is a prequel to the the early 2000s uh, movie Orphan. Uh, that movie was fantastic, uh, and surprisingly this one's not bad at all either uh even though it was kind of an unnecessary prequel prequels most of the time are unnecessary uh, i don't think all of them suck or nothing or anything like that but some movies just don't need nothing and i was 100 percent on board that this movie did not need to be made and i gotta say i'm pretty surprised i'm glad i watched it uh this kind of this as the title suggests, is this is it, it's not really her first kill. That you find that out very early in the movie, but this is the story of the first family that she, or the more the the family before the family in the original movie that she infiltrated, and a lot of this movie's got a lot of stuff that that the original has that's dialed up to like 11 and I feel like it worked and there was there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I like a lot this is a very rewatchable and very competent prequel uh, I was very surprised but let's get to my likes and dislikes so what I liked about it was is that the acting is great all around and it's especially the actress that plays Esther she is She's great. Her performance as the younger Esther is a testament to how much talent she has. And she, she when she first played Esther, I think she was like 11 years old. And I think she's like in her 20s now. And she just did this fantastic job once again. Because now she's having to play an even younger version of that character now that she is older. So I've, I've commend this actress. She's great and she's truly menacing. I mean, she's absolutely one of the best horror villains in the last 20 years. I, I'm, I'll stand by that statement. I'll die on that hill. She's great. Uh, the kills and the gore are definitely turned up to 11 from the first film. And they, they aren't very creative necessarily, but they're just cruel. Like you can feel the cruelty behind them, and and they're they're very effective in in showing the danger and the the tension and and how just how truly evil this 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 kid is or this fake kid is. In case you didn't know, 
the other thing, the twist in this movie. The first one had one of the best twists ever in a horror film. This movie has a twist that I did not see coming. And I liked it. I liked the twist. Uh, I had no idea it was coming. Uh, it adds this extra villain aspect to other characters in the movie. Uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember the actress's name. But she played in a bunch of those uh, 90s uh, rom-coms or the teen rom-coms like 10 Things I Hate About You and stuff like that. I can't remember her name, but she plays like the mother of the adopt of uh, the mother of the of supposedly Esther. Because Esther in this movie is posing as a girl that went missing years ago. And she she's essentially saying that she was captured and taken to a different country which turns out to be Estonia where she's from and they rest they she went back got rescued and now she's back with her original family she's posing as that little girl named Esther and the mother of Esther in this movie that is an evil bitch <laughs> and it, it was it was this very crazy very crazy conflict that they put these two characters in because Esther's mom and her brother they're both assholes they're both just dirtbags and they're they're evil too they're not on Esther's level Esther's evil Esther's also mentally ill but that's a different topic but they they make very they become very hateable villains truly great performances because I just never seen that one actress, the one the one I was speaking about earlier, the mother. I, I'd never seen her in a role like this before, and she did great. And she was, again, she might have been a true villain of the movie, not Esther. Which brings me to my dislikes. Uh, they kind of make the dad the only true sympathetic character in this movie, which just makes the movie feel very bleak tone wise and kind of makes you pull for like the bad guy <laughs> it kind of makes you pull for Esther and I don't know how I, f how I should feel about about that <laughs> I mean, it's it's very it's a very confusing movie emotionally because you don't really want to pull for the homicidal maniac but you don't want to pull for the piece of shit mom and son either so it's it, it just it's just one of those things where the only redeem, the only character that is remotely redeemable it's not like Rob Zombie's like level of characters who can't be redeemed but I just I feel so sorry for the dad the dad is the one good character in this in this movie and he's not only oblivious but he's on an island by himself because the mother and son they're just they're evil too and the, I, I don't really want to spoil the twist so if you don't want to hear about the twist just fast forward a little bit on this episode but essentially the mother the one day years ago when the when quote Esther disappeared her and her son her and her brother were wrestling or horse playing too hard and he played a little too rough with her and he killed her so the mother took the mother and him took the body and they threw it down like this well or some kind of some kind of hole they threw it in this hole where no one ever goes and checks 
And that's what happened to Esther. So when our version of Esther shows up, they're like, who the hell is this? Because Esther's dad. So they're automatically on tour from the get-go, and it just causes this real conflict of emotions on who who do you who do you wish you know gets the knife or whatever because they're all bad. Uh, especially the son. The son's a little asshole. It's crazy. He makes little comments. I'm gonna kill you like I did my real sister, and it's just like really. That's what you would say. I was your sister, you know. So it was kind of it, it was kind of like over the top in that sense in some ways, but. What is my final verdict? Although it's an unnecessary prequel, Orphan First Kill manages to give us some great kills, a surprising twist, and superb acting overall. But it does have some tonal issues that result in an emotionally confusing narrative. Ultimately though, it produces a very competent movie that expands on the character of Esther and delivers an enjoyable experience. With all that being said, Orphan First Kill gets a 4 out of 5 and is grizzly grade guaranteed go watch this on Paramount Plus it was pretty good I very watchable movie and honestly just do it in a double feature watch that and Orphan because both of these are great And with that, we're going to bring this episode to an end. Thank you all so much for y'all's continued support and patience. Without y'all, this show is not possible. I want to give a shout out to Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. His music is amazing and is what I use for my background music throughout each episode, as well as the music I use for my intro and outro tracks. So check out White Bat Audio on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and also follow us on all social media platforms. And most importantly, join the Mean Militia by joining the official Facebook group, the Mean Joe Grizzly Mean Militia. I really hope y'all enjoyed this lightning round of reviews I did. It's something that I want to bring to Grizzly Grade Reviews when I've seen a lot of stuff all at once and I want to try to get it all in. So if I've seen a bunch of stuff and it's more than two reviews, more than likely I'm going to do a lightning round on it. So there's just so much stuff that I had seen that I wanted to share with y'all. Uh, the next couple of videos, uh, going to do a couple of reviews and I plan on doing a grizzly guide on black Adam and the just society of America for the upcoming black Adam movie. And then we got the spooky season started. Technically for me, the spooky season starts this month in September, but October, just like last year, but even bigger, we're gonna have a lot of good stuff coming up in October. And I cannot wait to bring that to y'all. But until next time, remember, I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. <laughs>